really poor specimen. Yeah, this, is like, <laughs> this is the worst. <laughs> it's like, it's really, like gnarled on and cat chewed in. Yeah, like there's like a hair leaves. wrapped around <laughs> yeah. it. You are listening to Welcome to another episode of the Urban Wildlife Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Billy Brown, with Tony Crowsdale. We got two guests today from the Weed, the Weeds Project. We've got Caitlin Pomerantz and Zaya Levy. If you like the podcast, please like us on your podcasting listening platform of choice: iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, whatever you're using. Um, please leave a review. Please get in touch with us at urbanwildlifecast at gmail.com or tweet at us at herbwildlifecast. Um, we love feedback. We love ideas. Um, uh, you know, we've more and more been including stuff that listeners have sent us. Um, so if you've got something, whether it is uh, an animal or if it's a plant that's in your city, wherever your city is, um, and you want to talk a little bit about it, send us a little recording. We'd love to put it on the podcast. Absolutely. Hey, podcast listeners. Tony and I took a walk with Zaya and Katie in West Philly on Chancellor Street just to see what we could find growing in the neighborhood. All right, so my first impression of the cracks are that they're well-trodden. So we've got miniature things here. It's not like no one walks here and then there's just ample opportunity. But they are resilient, so they're still here even though they're completely walked on. So we have... What do we have here, Katie? We have epizote, which people use in food for various reasons. I've got a bean stew in the fridge right now with sidewalk epizote. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. And so... And one is to reduce flatulence, flatulence in beans. Hopefully it does that, too. Yeah. <laughs> You're going for the flav. I'm going for the flavor. Yeah. I have, don't really have much hope in that It's got a part, pretty wild smell, I think. It smells... Um, people say, like, gasoline or some... It, yeah. It, 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 you don't think you should eat it when you smell it, but the flavor really blends well with other stuff. Um, yeah. We also, in this tiny crack, have a little bit of um, nightshade or solanum. solanum. I think it's solanum something. It's been a little while. I've been living in L.A. Genus is fine. All right. Um, friend of the potato. Friend of the tomato. Friend of the eggplant. <laughs> <laughs> People say that the... Nightshade berries poisonous, but then a lot of people eat them too. Black nightshade. People say black nightshade is like some people say it's totally poisonous. Other people just eat handfuls of them. Should we have a little disclaimer here? We don't advise people to eat them. Um, I would say people should control their own their own knowledge base. So whatever they truly know, then they can know it. But like, that's what I think. You can have a disclaimer. Okay, so I'll have a disclaimer. Podcast. Saying don't eat something unless you absolutely know what it is. This is yeah. And at least for yourself, have fully evaluated the possible effects of eating it. Right. All right. Good. Yeah. Um, and in between, we've got what do we have? Like those little guys. Some um, clover. So really quick, the nightshade oxalis. has. I think it's an oxalis. Oxalis. So that's yeah. like a miniature um, wood sorrel, right? Yeah. Also edible, although it has oxalic acid in it, which if you have in high concentrations, you won't be won't be very happy. But but it's like a kind of lemony flavor. Really nice. Yeah, really nice. Kid. Yeah. And then this is some sort of like, um, I don't know, buffalo grass or something like that in a non-native grass. Okay. And the nightshade, how would you describe what it looks like? Since 
Well, this is a really poor specimen. Yeah, this, is like, <laughs> this is the worst. It's, like it's like beat it's up. It's like gnarled on a cat shooting. Yeah, like there's like a hair sleeve. wrapped around <laughs> yeah, it. Like... All right, so let's walk on. We might see some prettier yeah. looking specimens. The peanut butter stuff. plant right here. Yeah. Is it coming out of the crack? Yeah, are we, we, cra- are we cracks only here? I think we're cracking it. Okay. <laughs> but this is coming out from the crack. Yeah, it's a crack around a tree planting. So cool. Let's go. The, the, okay. the real the, the hot spot's going to be next to the church parking lot, I think. All but right. this is a much nicer version of the nightshade that we're looking at here, the solanum. So deep green leaves, kind of arrow shaped with some like. Big I mean, they look a lot like a tomato plant. Yeah. Yeah. Like a lot like a tomato plant, and the little flowers look a lot like the tomato plant. So a little white star shaped. And flowers. what's nice about the Solanaceae family in general is that the little male parts, the anthers that make the pollen, all kind of get together in a little inner circle there, meeting up, giving it a real look, a crown like look. So that's nice. Neat. Okay. Always keep so. an eye on your tomato plants. Now next little lamb's quarters, baby. We got mm-hmm. a little lamb's quarter growing out of the crack between the asphalt and the curb. Another edible, right? Edible, 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 questionable. And so the edible. yes, the lamb's quarters is kind of like spinach in mm-hmm. my experience. Hi, closely fuzzy. related to quinoa. Episote is another amaranth, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. All right, we've got a lot of episode here. Yeah. Which makes it really convenient for me. Established lamb's quarters. Yep, taller lamb's quarters. And they've got kind of like soft looking leaves. Mm hmm. Um, they got the kind of like basic arrow shape with kind of like jagged sides. I don't know. Here's a favorite native plant. Oh. Phytolaca americana. Pokeweed. Pokeweed. Yeah, this is maybe I haven't seen much pokeweed yet. They got a po- he's poking, poking just... out in the backyard. We gotta give a shout out to one of our favorite podcasts, Field Notes, where one of their one their episode about pokeweed was called Pokeweed Every Day. There you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, our favorite story about pokeweed or mine is that the berries were uh, used to make the ink that was used to sign the Declaration of Independence. Aha. Okay. Which is not a very light, fast ink. No. So who's and to which say is, how, which how is a very sturdy current, that signature was? <laughs> a very current fact because it's now July 5th in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, um, that's probably why they have to keep that thing in the shade. <laughs> yeah. And, then, and that's a, so the berries are like it's a big, it gets to be a big plant, and it has these these like clusters of like these purple fuchsia berries. almost. Deep. Yeah, deep. And it, one thing that's really fun is when they're ripe, you can take them and like throw them on the sidewalk and smear them around with your foot, and you can get like these almost uh, Zen sand garden paintings out of it. Hookweed art. Okay. Yeah. It is a project. Temporal. It is. It is um, ephemeral. The inspiration for one speaking of art, one of the greatest songs ever written. Hooks out, Annie. Hmm. I don't know it. It was like. Everybody says it was a shame that your mama was <laughs> working on a chain gang poke salad. And it's like, the gator's got your granny. That's, That's poke salad? Yeah, poke salad. Yeah, it starts out, so it's like, this girl from a swamp. It's this plant used to grow called poke. And this girl oh. would just go so get a bring it? Yeah, he, it, oh. he leaves. Yeah. The young, I think the really young shoots um, have been edible, but I do believe that the full-size plant can cause 
um, lymphatic issues. And so we got like around here with Atlantis of various sizes. We have, and this is sometimes called Tree of Heaven. Um, it smells kind of skunky. Or peanut buttery. Rotten peanut butter. No, don't defame peanut butter like that. I love peanut oh, butter. Oh, I, I do too. It smells um, like peanut butter. No, it's like, <laughs> it's like bad peanut butter. It's like peanut butter mixed. I don't know. It, okay. <laughs> I'm not, not going to get hung up on that. We saw a little seedling back by the tree planting over there, and then we've got one that's like three feet tall right in front of us, and this is like a walkthrough space that's supposed to be open, but hey, the city hasn't cleared it out for a long time, and so we actually have like an Atlantis tree. How tall would you see that is? A couple of them. I think it's 27 feet. (laughs) Thank you for the the Forest Service employee who has got to nail it for us. Um, But like a a decent-sized tree. Like, it's as tall as the house, at least, maybe a little taller. Um, and it just, it was just like a little plant that came out of a crack. Also, is this sow thistle? It's a thistle. That's sow thistle. Okay, I remember this from your, actually from the Weed of Weeds website. Hmm. It's got little yellow flowers, so it looks like, I mean, like a lot of things, it looks kind of like a dan- little mini dandelion. A little hercha. It, is, it, is it that spiky? It's a little spiky. Okay, it's a little spiky. Lightly is that a bull thistle baby over there? I think this might be a sow thistle baby. We're in sow thistle town. Yeah. Okay. Here's a, a hat. Oh. oh. <laughs> it's a black hat sitting on the... Who's it from? Oh. It's a black polo hat sitting on the ground. And a butterfly wing. Maybe? No. Fake butterfly wing. Here's a little urban wildlife for you guys. Indeed. So we're looking at a kind of flat plant growing like sort of just well, flat with kind of like round kind of oval shaped leaves kind of like a mutant mm-hmm. it's cute those are his little flowers maybe we'll find a better example yeah. here's a plantain oh. I'm gonna pocket that one okay and we got a couple and this is like I kind of like this this is a oh, section of, of curb mm-hmm. missing go ahead what we got we got horse tail which is what is that really called horse weed horse weed Kanzuza. It gets pretty tall. Like, it gets pretty tall, like four feet. And so it ends up with three these... Three feet, 18... Three feet... Precise, <laughs> <laughs> come on. Uh, they end up with these, like, uh, longish leaves arranged around, like, in whorls around the, the stems. It's a member of the aster family, so it looks like a little white daisy. Um, but it was like a flat top splay of small daisy flowers and... Yeah, long, stemmy we got, blooms in the fall, like many asters do. What else we got? We got um, some more... We got some... Plantain. Some babies. Yeah, some right. broadleaf plantain and there. And so plantain has, like, these big round leaves with parallel... Big parallel veins, at least, the big ones. And flower stalks that shoot straight up. Um, these guys are edible, too. The plantain seeds. They are. Yeah. And you can harvest them, like, really easily when they're ripe. You, like, you know, you got, like, yeah. of them. But they're edible in the way where you, like, watch some video on YouTube and this guy goes out with, like, his son and they get a bunch of these and they go to some cabin and then they, like, cook it and then they're like, oh, this is terrible. <laughs> if you're starving. You gotta, like, you gotta, like add <laughs> butter or something if you're gonna eat this stuff. But I've heard about with people, like, um, popping them, huh. um, you know, like, roasting them, toasting them. So what are you looking at? Just some Virginia pepperweed in my toe. And what is Virginia pepperweed? I don't know. It's a a lipidium. And like all pepper, 
pepper, not like pepper, like capsicum, but pepper like... Um, like black pepper. Like black pepper, yeah. No, not really like black pepper. Black ah. pepper is more like mustard. Like it, right? Oh, okay. So you it's know, a like little... a mustard family thing. Yeah. Um, but it's called pepperweed, but it's, a, it's in the mustard family. It looks kind of like a shepherd's purse. It looks, yeah, it looks a lot like a shepherd's purse. Except shepherd's purse kind of has a little heart-shaped seed pod, and this guy yeah. just has a little round seed pod. It would have a four-parted flower, four petals. And all the things in the mustard family are edible, although some are kind of too spicy or some not. Some taste better than others. Yeah, some definitely taste better than others. So, I don't know. Let's get to the end of the block. Let's get to the end of the block. All right, this is what happens with plants. You always, like, stop it. All right, so what are these grasses here? Oh, they're grasses. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not Timothy. It's like some foxtail type thing. So we got little foxtails here and there. We're passing more um, south thistle and more little ailanthus. And is this, um, what is that? This guy, I believe, is rattlesnake weed. Is that the same um, as spotted spurge? It's like, yeah, I mean, it's a spurge. It's in the, it's a euphoriaceae. It's going to have milky latex if you, like, break it. Which that wasn't a very good example because it's kind of like dried out. This is like out. a reddish, another reddish, well, a reddish that. plant another one of these flat creeping plants. growth form. Creeping growth form. Yes, that was one of our old band name ideas. <laughs> Here's some spots on your spotted spurge. And our spurges. Oh yeah. Are those the same as um, vetches? No, no vetches. Vetch is a pea. What's ladies' thumb? No. Ladies' thumb is a. Um, oh, this is a smartweed. It's a smartweed, yeah. Wait, that's a smartweed? No, this okay. is not a smartweed. This is Got in. It. This is. Um, Poinsettia family. Yes. There you go. Mm-hmm. Tony's got a horticulture degree. We're up plant, surrounded by plant people. Yeah, but I'm really just a horticulture degree because I had a ceiling with birds, so. Yeah, you got. That's weird. Because you knew too it's much like about a, birds. Oh, that's like another. Go back to it was like an upright bird or something. Yeah. yeah. And they're all curled up on the birds. And so they're all curled up on birds. Yeah. You know? Um, I know. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, sorry. And uh, what do you think this is? Let's look at it. Let me get down here and check it out. Contorted purslane. It's a contorted purslane. I okay. concur. It's doing tricks on and it. if you look at the top of its leaves, it's got some sort of like fungal problem. It's a very sick purslane. Okay, we'll leave it alone. Sick puppy. Hope yeah. we'll <laughs> recover or not recover. Let nature take its course. What you got, Tony? A beak brush? What is this? Like a, this is a What is these? This guy is... So yeah, it's, it's a, I think it's a juncus, which would be a rush. So it's got, like, it looks kind of like a grass, but if it's a rush, it's not a grass. So there's, like, sedges and and rushes, which are close related to, or they are somewhat related to grasses. Um, so it's, like, rounder, I guess, than a grass? And rushes are round, sedges have edges, and grasses have asses. Okay. Oh, that's a bullet so we got a bull thistle. A handsome so one. It is like what you classically think of when you think, or what I think of when you say thistle, this is like the Ur thistle. This is like Viking stopping thistle. Viking stopping thistle. You, you, know, this, you know the story behind that? I don't, but it looks Wh- like it could stop Why a it's the uh, symbol for Scotland? Because no. it stopped Vikings? Because Vikings, apparently Vikings took off their shoes to sneak up on, on like the Scottish camp. 
and and, oh, the, and they stepped on bull thistle. They yeah. stepped on some kind of thistle Ooh. and like and like and they were like ah and, and then the they woke up with Scots and they beat the Vikings. This is a spiky oh, plant. Cool. And it's got kind of like the the flowers are these green spiky balls with like purple tufts on top. Goldfish love them. Hmm. Birds, Have you gum. guys eaten the thistle stems? You can find like nice thick thistles and you can whack down, you know, where it's nice and thick at the bottom and peel back the the skin off of it. Yeah. And peel you're it. left with kind of like the pith of the stem. Okay. And it has like an artichokey type flavor. I just got a mugwort tattoo. A mugwort inspired tattoo. Do you and think it looks like that? No, you mentioned it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is that a picture we could put on the like social media of the sure. tattoo. I got it like a day ago, so it could heal a little bit more. But yeah, I my cell phone's inside, but I will grab that in a minute. You have to credit the artist Brooke Hare. Some curly dock. Some curly dock with these big leaves, which is my least one of my least favorite plants in really? the garden. Because it's to so, weed out. Yeah, yeah, they got that root. It's vicious. Um, Edibles. Yeah, and you can eat the like young leaves. They're not that good though. It's like one of those things. I feel like every there's a plant. Bunch of, like, <laughs> You could eat the shoots or the young leaves. They're not that good. And they're not the, that but good. But the plants where the where recipes boil go, it boil times. it, boil it three or four times. Like blanch it and then boil it and then boil it and then add butter. But you can't eat it. It's like mush. It's like I can mush anything and mix it with butter after I boil I it three get times. Just some kale. I know. You know. So why do you like? Why do you like mugwort so much? Um, I think it was the first weed that I learned about when I moved to Philadelphia eight years ago, and it's, um. You know, it's supposed to have kind of magical qualities. You can sleep with it under your pillow and have wild nice. dreams. It smells nice. I it's, think it's beautiful. It's everywhere. It is everywhere. And it, and it's, you know, it's resilient. It can be anywhere and it can um, find a place anywhere. We really can. We really like that plant. Is it a mulberry? What is it? A paper mulberry. Ah, Okay. Zaya and I became friends over a paper mulberry. That's how we met. Yeah. What were you doing paper with mulberries. the paper mulberry? Um, we weren't really doing anything, but I Zaya, was in Katie's yeah. presence because we had a mutual friend. Yeah. And we then were in my backyard. We were in your backyard. And there was this mystery tree, which I thought of as the puzzle piece plant because yeah. the, the leaves are kind of puzzle piece shaped. And Zaya identified it for me immediately, and we were friends forevermore. And yeah, went on Katie to do was like, I've a... been trying to, I've been yeah. like wanting so much to know what this plant is. And I was like, I can help you. And then she asked me like a, a lot more. Is there a botanist <laughs> in the audience? <laughs> yeah. Yes. And then we spent the rest of the year like taking walks around Philadelphia. Yeah. And... This is so lovely. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah and so, so we'll, on, we'll end on mugwort for this little walk. Let's head inside and we'll, we'll consume some mugwort, right? Yeah, we're oh. going to have a drink with some mugwort in it. Awesome. Exotic invasive. This drink I learned how to make from Zaya, um, but it is a lemonade made from staghorn sumac fruits or seeds. It's like the fruit. Yeah. Oh, berry thing. Yeah. So you take the whole kind of tuft and you just soak it in water. I used cold water. The drink probably would have been stronger, but also more bitter if I had used hot water. Um, then I also added some mint, and that's it. That's the story. So yeah, so we were talking about how like there's that you have there's a question like what do you focus on like the the native stuff that's 
somehow still there or like the exotic stuff that's all around you. And you guys went like when you're with We the Weeds, it's like almost entirely exotic stuff that happens to be well suited to old field or recently disturbed fields and sidewalk cracks and yeah, but it's not. It wasn't. It wasn't a decision upon that. It was just a decision to study what was present in our neighborhoods, which yeah. Um, what were those neighborhoods? Which well, I live in Kensington, and Katie lives in West Philly. Um, we did a lot of walking around in Kensington. I think more so than in West Philly, but I mean the weeds are similar in places. But it, we were really focusing a lot on like these resilient plants that can grow in disturbed places with like high levels of salts or um, not that great of soils or lots of stormwater runoff. I mean, things that are growing in the city. And a lot of those do tend to be non-native plants. Cool. Yeah. The term that I really like, which is from that Peter Del Tridici book, is spontaneous urban plants. So any plant that's growing, you know, unintentionally and, and able to thrive on its own but yes, most of them do happen to be classified as invasive. They're not from here. Not from here. Yeah. <laughs> but often you know, we we yeah. were the ones who brought them over here. Sure. So to even um, focus on the fact that they're not from here is to ignore what brought them here to so begin this, with. This is something that I was like, thinking we get to later. But like, so it's a question that like of like what is the sort of like, what is the place? Is it like like as sort of the coordinates? here and what's native to here or is it like the landscape I think it depends like what your timeline is but I think our focus is really like what is here now how did it get here we are interested in what was here before um, but I think the idea of trying to return a habitat to what was there before is a little bit um, like not accounting for the changes that have taken place and, and you know maybe some positive benefits of those changes like so many of these plants that are classified as invasive or you know doing remediation work um, or stabilizing soil or providing habitat or providing shade or um, absorbing water so to like spend so much money putting down poison or tearing them out is that really always the right answer I, I don't know especially if you're in you know this is the pine barrens is ain't you know this is Right, you're in the city, and then I found a lot that people will be like, oh my gosh, you're a botanist, tell me I love this plant that's in my backyard so much, oh my gosh, I love it, and they love it, they just love it, and then you go out there and you tell them what it is, and then you mention that it's not from there, and that it's, you know, and they've, they hear the name of the plant, and they've heard this name of the plant before, and they know that that plant's like on the bad plant list, <laughs> and then all of a sudden they're like, don't know what to do because they don't know if they should love that plant anymore and it really doesn't make much of a difference I mean it, there's the, not like any bad plants and I think that with the weeds I think of them as like the human companion plants mm. and so a lot of what I see happening within the work I do in the forest service and people I talk to about invasive plants and this and that is that we're not equating for ourselves in the equation so like most invasive plants are reacting to habitat fragmentation or habitat disturbance, and they're not really just coming to get us in intact places. And so, um, I don't know, those friends, the plants that are the friends of the humans that have been hanging out with the humans seem to know how to deal with human-caused habitat sure. disturbances, because they've been hanging with us, and they're, they're like, and they're like, hey, like, yeah. I'm totally into you guys, like, 
you know, maybe you, you used to be into me, you took me with you when you traveled across the planet, or I kind of snuck along, and we used to have this thing going on, and now all of a sudden it's like, we're like, oh, our old best friend plant guys, we're like, kind of like... So dandelions must really hate us now. By that thing. No, I think they love us. I think that they still love us, and that we still love them. We keep trying to kind of, kill them. People just kind of forgot how to, um, forgot, people forgot about it. People, yeah. The stories didn't get, you know, the, we forgot so I like them. I like those guys. I also like the native ones. I mean, I just like all the, any plant that's just doing its thing. So how did the project come about? How did you go from being just urban plant lovers to having a thing? Well, we told a little bit about the story of meeting in my backyard um, and Zaya helping to identify the paper mulberry plant. Um, and I think from there we got very excited you know, I think we were both looking at plants in different ways. I'm a visual artist, and um, I had been doing at that time a printmaking residency, and I was hoping to make uh, botanical labels for the plants I was seeing around Philadelphia, but I was just having a really hard time identifying the plants. Um, Zaya was already, you know, doing this in her own way and, and doing much more, and so when we met, it was like a, a perfect... Um, opportunity to take walks, record what we were seeing, and then turn that information into these little visual placards, which we actually went around and like wheat pasted to buildings and cracks in the street where we would see the plants growing. And um, yeah, from there it kind of yeah, took it was off. like this first idea of like, oh, what if we label them? You know, put labels out. Just yeah. Some labels out. Katie made these beautiful hand-printed labels. Uh, there was like a whole set of what, like 30 or something different plants or More, 50 I plants think, or something yeah. like that. She made these labels and we were wheat pasting them around and they really didn't last very long because it was wheat paste, but that was cool. That was part of the nature of it all. But we went, we applied for Philly Steak um, to get, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that program, but it's like a, a micro-granting this is not a sandwich. This is no. It's not like a Philly steak sandwich. It's like it's not a Philly cheesesteak. It's Philly steak like stakeholder. Yeah. Um, and so people apply, and then they pick like seven good ideas, and then there's a dinner, and everyone pays twenty dollars to go to the dinner, and the dinner guests vote who should get the proceeds from the dinner. All the foods donated. Okay. And so like two hundred people come, and they each pay twenty dollars, and so there's really you know, whatever for whatever. There's money. Yeah. Um, so we applied for that and we're finalists, um, but we didn't invite any of our friends to come, so we didn't win because you gotta have people to vote for you. You didn't get the votes. We didn't get the votes. It's very Philly politics. But people did say, like, we met other people there and people seemed really interested in it. And, like, so the, the idea that people were interested in it, I think, sparked more projects. Yeah, I don't even remember. I remember before that happening people just wanting to take walks with us and all yeah. of a sudden like different institutions were asking us to lead these tours and um, I think what people were responding to was not only just like the identification of the plants but the stories that we were able to dig up and um, you know just a way of getting to know the places that they pass through every day but with this like added level of information. Yeah. Um, it's another layer of depth to the. Yeah. To yeah. The we did yeah. some work with some high school kids, and that was really awesome. Katie did a whole summer with them, um, where they were made a field guide of the plants around their around their school. 
Yeah, I um, think for me, like, a big part of the project is... Um, I, I grew up in New York City, which was a much more uh, manicured place. There, you know, real estate is so expensive. There are a lot fewer vacant lots. Um, and it felt like an impressively urban environment. And when I moved to Philadelphia, I felt... You know, I knew I was in an urban space, but I was also surrounded by what felt really like jungles. Um, yeah. But I didn't know what any of it was, and it was it was just so excited to exciting to be in a city, but also in this like abundantly wild space. Yeah. And um, I just kept thinking, like, if I had been a kid growing up here, what, what would I have learned about any of this? Would I have been told, oh no, that's the those are weeds, that's a vacant lot, don't go there? Which yeah. I think is what most kids are told. And so the idea of kind of being able to expose youth to, you know, it's not just, like, a blighted area with weeds. It's, like, a whole ecosystem with these amazing plants with these amazing stories. I, that's, for me, been one of the most exciting parts of the project. And students have responded amazingly. Like, you know, kids that never look twice at a patch of ground, like, instantly learned all the names of these plants. We run into them still, like, years later, and they remember... Um, and tell stories, and so it's been pretty exciting. <laughs> so I keep looking at Tony, because now Tony runs, recently just took over, um, or was, what's the right way to put it, you were named the director? I'm the state, I'm car- I'm the state director of College Creek Environmental Center. Cool. So, so I would love to collaborate with you. Yeah. I think another really cool thing, like I never met a botanist in my life until I met Zaya, and, you know, the idea that there is this career as a botanist and you can go out and look for plants and make a living and like that was so exciting to me and I think especially when we've gotten to work with like young women to see another uh, to see a woman in science and to actually learn about what they get to do I mean Zaya's come in with like all of her tools and it's just such an eye-opening amazing thing what do you do for a living yeah I work for the forest service um as a field botanist and I've been doing it for a while now. It's like been 14 years or something. And I work for a group in, within the Forest Service called Enterprise. And we have somewhat like a private consulting company within the Forest Service. So we're kind of filling in the shortcomings where different national forest systems wouldn't have staff on hand. Um, I work as a field botanist. There's a lot of different people I work with. There's bio- different biologists I work with and hydrologists. Um, archaeologists and then we also have people that are doing writing editing and more um administrative type stuff environmental documents and so there's kind of this whole gamut of everything within the forest service and we have a few of those people and then we go and kind of farm ourselves out and help out so um she gets to ride a government truck and she gets shipped to like the most beautiful place in the country so so i travel from like the great outdoors to kensington and so just for for perspective for people who aren't familiar with Philadelphia neighborhoods, Kensington is a very densely like built up old like row house neighborhood. Kensington when I moved to Kensington has changed a lot. When I moved to Kensington, um, there were seventeen houses on my block where there probably originally were like forty five houses, so there was over half vacant lots in on just my block. Yeah. The next block over was completely vacant. The next block over only had like three or four buildings on it out of this you know ninety that used to be there yeah so it was um and then 
a couple blocks farther, they call it the mega lots. So it was like complete blocks that used to be factory buildings that had burnt down. It's an old um, textile this is by the L? neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I know what you're talking about. We said mega lot. I was like, oh. yeah, um, it's <laughs> an old textile, yeah, old textile neighborhood. And so the big like ribbon factories and hosiery factories and stuff like that have been slowly burning down, leaving these big lots. And then um, I lived in a house that was like the foreman's house or whatever, so it's kind of a nicer house, but then there's a lot of blocks that have kind of smaller row homes, all kind of tightly packed in there, smaller row homes. Um, plenty of weeds. Plenty of mugwort. Tons yeah. of mugwort. There was a fire, the Bucks building burnt down some years ago, and I've been wa I've been watching that, and it was really interesting to see the succession of the weeds that were growing in there, like the very first year... Um, Oh, I wrote it down somewhere. The very first year, it was like all, what was it? I think it was all yellow sweet clover. Just you like, like, right. like the whole, the entire. <laughs> blossom field too. Yeah, the yeah. entire block was mellow sweet clover. And then, you know, the next year, it was like a completely different plant community. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to spend my life studying this lot. <laughs> and then, I, I feel that But way then about. I got like distracted. <laughs> On, on Walnut and 48th, that apartment building that burned down over there, I mm. like I've been I, I I haven't paid attention from its initial burning down, which was an awful thing. A lot of people lost their homes; it was miserable. Um, but then they cleared the lot, and now it's like a field that they mow like every three months or something like that. Right. So it's kind of neat to see what can make it and flower in the time before they come back and mow it again. <laughs> and right now. Zaya is mixing up some cocktails. What are we drinking? Okay, so this <laughs> drink is um, it's an oldie but a goodie. Katie and I actually whipped this up for an event that happened a while ago, but I had it in my storage unit here because I'm not around. But um, So this is a utopic dystopic bitters that are made from plants that were growing along the Schuylkill River, along with other herbs and things like that that were purchased. The Schuylkill River is our one of our two major rivers. It's a tributary of the Delaware that flows and cuts off. It's the boundary between West Philadelphia and the rest of Philadelphia. And so it has, it's an absinthe-inspired drink. Um, absinthe is made with wormwood. Um, but this drink has four plants that are also commonly known as wormwood. And I have a little pamphlet that we made for our event before. So... We have common ragweed, which is Ambrosia artemisiaefolia, <laughs> which is known as Roman wormwood. Um, so that's growing around. It is responsible for some allergies. Um, the pollen is, but the plant itself can act as an antihistamine. So you can use ragweed as a antidote to ragweed allergies, hay fevers. Then we have mugwort, which is also known as common wormwood, Artemisia vulgaris. Yep. Um, and that plant is a plant that people have used to connect to the ethers and um, spiritual world in a lot of ways. Um, it's it's uh, very, very prolific. And then we have sweet annie, which is Artemisia annua which is actually a really common plant that I feel like people aren't that aware of that are here. Um, but may it, I see the pamphlet? You may. Um, Do you have an electronic version of the pamphlet? This is Wait, called Sweet, sweet okay. Wormwood. And Artemisia annua is an annual version of mugwort. And it 
oh. is a plant that people um, use to treat malaria. Um, Artemisian is like a drug, a malarial drug in I have heard of that. Many yeah. places and Neat. and sweet Annie is a like hardcore anti-malarial. So you got your antihistamine, you got your heaven connection to heaven, you got your anti-malarial, and then we put some actual wormwood in it too. So you've got these four wormwoods in this drink, three of which were collected by the Schuylkill River, and then it has some um, classic absinthe herbs like fennel and yeah. um, star anise and things like that in there. And it served this drink is served over a sugar cube because that's what I think of when I think of. Absence. Yeah, trickled over a yeah. spoon and with, over a sugar cube. With an yeah. orange slice and some vodka. Yeah. And we um, originally served this drink aboard the wetland vessel, which is a um, rehabbed boat created by the artist Mary Mattingly. It's currently being housed down at Bartram's Gardens as part of um, a Penn environmental initiative through okay. Bethany Wigan. So those are all really great people doing interesting things. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. So we serve right. some drinks. And so we were thinking that, you know, in the utopic, dystopic future, when all the humans were gone, these plants would be like growing in all of our tracks. But if you were one of the humans that happened to make it, you could use these plants to like survive in this. So it's the utopic, dystopic. So do you guys have any new or any upcoming events or new we media stuff? We've, We've, set, we've changed our tune a little. Well, we recently started doing projects outside of Philadelphia. Um, so our first was a really wonderful experience at an artist residency called <coughs> Cabin Time. Um, it's a roving residency that takes uh, artists, musicians, writers, scientists, and brings everyone to a, a different remote location every year and... Um, gives people the opportunity to create work over the course of a week. Um, and so Zaya and I uh, had the opportunity to go out to the Sierra Nevadas. We were in the Lone Pine region. Yeah, the base of Mount Whitney. Yeah, Whitney mm-hmm. Portal. Mm-hmm. And we awesome. um, did a project exploring grief in nature and, and how, if and how there is some kind of equivalent to this human concept of grief um, in the landscape. So, you know, can you look at geology or um, geography even? Yeah, watersheds. and Kind of read traumatic events that have been somehow, like... uh, Yes, time came came up a lot in terms of how grief and... We kind of thought how grief and landscape might translate is a part of landscape that hasn't reacted to time in the same way that other things have. So um, you have the mudslide or the avalanche and where everything else is worn away slowly, that had been like a drastic thing where you're seeing yeah. you're seeing um, time frames differently. See, it kind of ended up coming back to time. It was an explorative Yeah, we thing. did a lot of like mm-hmm. messing around in the desert with yeah. materials and making sundials and candles and (laughs) it was was a good time so we will hopefully be having a show of that work at sierra nevada college um in october oh good yeah Yeah. and then zaya has been working on this project at the huntington Mm -hmm. which is a um 
it's a We the Weeds tangent project. Katie's going to come out and and help me with it, um, and has been instrumental in in thoughts and ideas. So I was kind of explaining. It. I'm just going to say it yeah, briefly because we weren't just, recording at that point. So which say is um, a project at the Huntington Botanical Gardens and Library, looking in at, Los Angeles, looking at um, how collections, specifically biological collections and collectors. Um, have influence on biodiversity in the past, present, and future, and conservation. I mean, that would be the future part, um, and both negative and positive impacts on on biodiversity. And you were citing the example of um, about how explorers like would take have taken succulents from all over the world, um, and then how aloe vera in particular. Um, aloe. Out. So there's several hundred species, or maybe at least a hundred species of aloe. And all but one are um, prohibited for transport under CITES. Um, so they're endangered, basically. They're all endangered. They're, you know, and CITES. Yeah, so CITES is the... Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species. There we go. And so most of these things can't cross borders anymore. So back in the day, you'd have, like, some guy, like Mr. Huntington, who was extremely wealthy, and he's like, oh, I'm interested in plants. I want a collection. He'd send out expeditions, and people would go to foreign countries, and they would just grab stuff. They would say, oh, yeah. oh my gosh, that's beautiful. I want that. I know I can trade it in markets. I can bring it to the nursery, yeah. whatever, especially with, like, cactuses and succulents where they don't really have as much medicinal value or fiber values or things like that they were really ornamentals ornamental so yeah. you're having people bring all these plants and and that was detrimental to native plant populations um and now they're you know it's illegal to do that so people are still doing it of course but it is illegal to move those materials around so like every species of aloe except for aloe vera is protected by CITES um, yet at Huntington, they have a couple hundred of these species, which they got prior to the CITES yeah. convention. So they, you know, they got it in. They got it in early, and now because of development and other things in the place of origin, those plants a lot of times don't even exist where they came from. But the Huntington kept incredible records of where they got these things from, and so they have original collections from these places, and. They may or may not exist in those places, and the hunting team is actually kind of working at wanting to put them back there. They're doing like reintroductions, um, yeah, cryopreservation to preserve things for hundreds of years to the future, and, re- and wanting to reintroduce things from the same native, you know, stock back to the place that they were. <sighs> and so it's really an interesting kind of turnaround from like a colonial perspective of like we could never tame nature, we could never take it all. You know, it's just ours for the it's the bounty to where we've changed our ways and thinking about who should move plants around and where they should be moved to and animals and all these things. And to what purpose, yeah. And to what purpose. And then and then you have this kind of like collection that I don't know if it was the forethought of the collector to have it, that collection for preservation in the future. I think it was more like to collect. Um, but how that can be used. And then you wander around Los Angeles because you do because you're a we the weeds person and you like can't help it and you're like oh my god what's it oh what is all this stuff you know what is <laughs> hanging out in Los Angeles fruit is tree of heaven uh, Atlantis it's all over the place alright you can't get away from it alright yeah and then there's just fruit to be eaten yeah. I can't get anywhere in Los Angeles because I'm like 
but wait, but someone's got to pick all these guavas. Like, there's just guavas all over the place. Like, someone, like, come on, really? Like, it's just, but I can't, I was going to go somewhere, but now I have to, like, harvest guavas. Now I'm on my way to this party, and, like, I'm showing up with, like, shopping bags full of guavas, and, like, I'm like, just one guava. Pretty popular lady. And they're like, everybody else brought chips, and you got guavas. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Urban Wildlife Podcast. If you like the podcast, please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play, whatever you like to listen to your podcasts on. With any ideas you got, please get in touch with us at urbanwildlifecast at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at urbwildlifecast. We want to thank very much again Katie and Zaya for coming, not just for the weed walk, and for talking about their project, We the Weeds and all its ancillary projects, its offshoots, as you will, <laughs> and also serving us um, invasive species like soft drink and cocktails. <laughs> Do you want to say anything about Lola? Or not on the podcast? Uh, I just, I mean, who knows? Just, my cat is obviously on, a, on her way out. So mm. Yeah, we've talked about Lola on previous podcasts. Yeah. This is worth Aww. mentioning. This I mean, I haven't had her that long, but I inherited her when she was 11. Now she's 15. And so she's she's like... I, I'm not even sure if she'll be awake. It should be alive tomorrow at this mm, point. Sorry but it's, to hear yeah, that. appreciate it. But yeah, it's I, about I kind of knew it's coming. But yeah. it's it's crazy because I just moved in with my girlfriend and her cat died like the a few days before we started moving, and so it's like crazy. I have a twenty-year-old cat you can have if you're, <laughs> if you're in the market. Oh yeah. It's not like everything I say is gonna be. Is this what I make my bakes break? <laughs>